Hello, you are listening to an episode of Trade Talks, a podcast about the economics of trade policy. I am Samaya Keynes, economics and trade correspondent for The Economist in London. And I'm Chad Bound, a senior fellow with the Peterson Institute for International Economics in Washington. Listeners of this podcast are probably familiar with the idea that in places like America, globalization has created winners and losers, and the losers are angry. In this episode, we are going to hear about winners and losers of freer trade, but in developing countries, in places like India, Vietnam, Brazil, people have also had to adjust to globalization. We'll be joined by a special guest. Nina Pouchnik is the Niehaus Family Professor of International Studies and a professor of economics at Dartmouth College. She's also a world leader in economic research on trade in developing countries. Now, every year, there's an economic conference that all the big dogs in central banking go to. It's called the Jackson Hole Economic Policy Symposium. So think Janet Yellen of the Fed, Mario Draghi of the ECB, Maury Obsfeld of the IMF, and Nina. This year, they wanted to hear about her paper on the impact of trade and inequality in developing countries. And that is what we are going to be asking her about. So first, we'll explain how developing countries opened up to trade. Their experiences are useful. The liberalization happened suddenly and in an extreme way. And that means that we can be relatively sure that what we saw afterwards was as a result of the trade and not just something else. We'll also talk about what economic theory predicts will happen after a developing country opens up to trade and what actually happened. Turns out there were losers in developing countries too. We'll also talk about how people adjust and how they don't adjust, which firms are affected, what happens to inequality. We're going to try and get through as much detail as we can. This stuff is complicated and context specific. Nina, welcome. Well, thank you for having me. So in the rich world, trade liberalization happened quite a while ago now. Tariffs rose a lot uh, in the 1930s, but after the Second World War, broadly speaking, they haggled them down. And today, in most areas in rich countries, tariffs are pretty low. What was the story for developing countries? Developing countries started lowering their tariffs and other barriers to trade in 1980s and then in 1990s and also 2000s. Because of that, trade is now substantially more important for developing countries than it was in the 1980s. For example, India's exports were 5% in 1985 and rose to 20% in 2015. For China, exports went from 8% in 1985 to 22% in 2015. Brazil, on the other hand, didn't really change its export as a share of GDP in in 85 relative to 2015, but its imports went from 7% to 14% during this time period. And just to clarify, what kind of trade liberalization happened? In many of these countries, liberalization was unilateral import liberalization, which means that you reduce taxes on imports, remove non-tariff barriers to trade, such as like quantity restrictions on how many imports a country can bring in. However, some other countries, because in particular China, it was also export market liberalization because what happened is that the United States removed the uncertainty about what sort of import tariffs China will face when it exports to the United States. And listeners should be very familiar with that based on a previous episode we've recorded with Nuno Lemal. I have a sense that trying to study the environments of a lot of these developing countries is 
a bit more complicated than if we were just focusing on the United States or the European Union. So talk us through some of the additional complexities that you're confronted with when you're studying a country like India, for example. The first issue that we have to think about is the fact that in a country like India, many individuals still earn a living from agriculture or they earn a living by being employed in the informal sector. And agriculture is actually a good example of an informal activity because most people work on their own farm, which is usually not registered with the government. But you can also be an informal worker in manufacturing. In fact, in India, 8 out of 10 manufacturing workers work in the informal sector. So they work for a firm that's really not registered with the government. The reason why this presents a problem is that if you are informal, you're often not part of the official statistics. So one issue that researchers have to deal with is, do we have access to data that actually covers not just the formal sector in the formal farms, but also the informal activities? And that's a problem when you're trying to work out who is going to be impacted by this trade liberalization. Absolutely, yes. The second issue that we have to handle is that we have to figure out when a country opens up to trade, not only how, what is it relatively good at producing vis-a-vis country like United States, but also what is it good at producing vis-a-vis other emerging economies, such as China, for example. One in particular, China is really good at producing relatively labor-intensive, low-quality products. We actually have a lot of examples where countries should be exporting apparel to United States, but China can produce apparel even more cheaply. So these countries, when they open up to international trade, face competition from China, not just in their own domestic markets, but also in third markets such as United States or Europe. As we've talked about in earlier episodes of our podcast, countries like the United States and the European Union have really used lots of different kinds of import restrictions to stop trade coming in from China. But what I've also noticed is a lot of these emerging markets, India, Brazil, Mexico, have used the same kinds of import restrictions toward China. This is a very complicated story, even for developing countries, emerging markets as they were liberalizing during this time period. When thinking about the impact of trade and developing countries, are there any data problems that we should be wary of? Many people assume that data from developing countries will not be as good as the data in developed countries. And that can be the case, but I want to emphasize that many developing countries, including India, have really good nationally representative data with lots of detailed questions in it that we can use for research. We do have to be careful, though, if we work with data on companies, because usually Governments only survey companies that are registered, the companies that they are aware of. That excludes all the companies that operate in the informal sector, which tends to be a pretty large chunk of the activities in developing countries. What did economic theory predict would happen when these poorer countries opened up to trade? Usually we believe that when countries open up to trade, they specialize their production more in industries where the costs are relatively low in comparison to other countries. Poor countries tend to have a lot of less educated labor relative to a country like United States. What we would expect to happen is that the demand for less educated labor would increase with transition. That means that wages would increase for less educated workers and wages for the more educated workers would actually decline. Trade reform in India was supposed to do three things. It was supposed to provide aggregate benefits to the economy. It was supposed to reduce poverty because it was supposed to raise wages of the less educated. And it was supposed to reduce inequality because it was supposed to 
decrease wages of more educated individuals and raise wages of the less educated individuals. So you explained to us what the theory would predict we might expect to see happening in these developing countries as they opened up the trade. Was it that simple? Is that what we saw actually happen in practice? No, it was not simple. The reality is always much more complicated than the theory suggests. The first finding that researchers that studied tradeization in developing countries uncovered is that this gap between the earnings of more educated and less educated individuals did not decrease. Instead, it actually increased after the countries implemented trade reforms. So whereas we expected trade to lower inequality, actually it raised inequality. There are many theories in international trade, but the one that policymakers and academics always applied to studying the effects of trade reforms in developing countries, that theory assumed that workers will very easily move from industries that will contract as a result of trade to industries that will expand the result of trade. In reality, moving from one industry to another or from one location to another does not happen easily. Yeah, so let me give you a sense of mobility problems like in India. India is separated into districts. Less than 1% of people who live in rural districts moved out of their district in order to find a job somewhere else in the 1980s and 1990s. In urban areas, mobility is a little bit larger. But even there, only five out of 100 people moved from one urban district to another to look for a job. One thing that researchers have found, not just in India, but also in Brazil and in Mexico, is that if you live in a region that suffers because of import competition, people don't move out of this region to regions with better employment opportunities, even five or nine years after the reforms take off. Labor mobility and adjustment is one of the areas that we're most interested in. But if people aren't moving, what is happening? What is actually adjusting then? How do these shocks play out if the people aren't physically moving? If people are not moving, two things can happen. Either their wages go down or they become unemployed and they continue to be unemployed. This is in response to an import shock, so extra import competition. Yes. But one thing to also consider is in developing countries, you can also, if you lose a job after some unemployment, you can perhaps find a job then in the informal sector. So let me give you an example of how workers were affected by trade reform in Colombia. So prior to trade reform, many firms in Colombia made pretty high profits because they were protected from foreign competition. There was not much domestic competition. And they shared these profits with workers in terms of higher wages. Well, when import competition came in, profits went away and wages declined and workers were worse off. Let's talk about companies adjusting. What do we know about which firms are hit hardest by trade shocks? One thing that we have learned in the past 20 years in economics is that even if you look at very narrow industry, companies differ quite a bit in terms of what type of quality product they produce, how productive they are. And what we have also learned is if you are a company that produces a higher quality product, is more productive, or it's run by a better manager, you tend to cope better with import competition, you adjust better to import competition, and you're also better positioned to take advantage of exporting opportunities. Companies that perform better, are managed by better managers, also tend to pay better. So workers that work for these companies earn more than if you work for a company that is not as well managed. Do you have an example of a trade shock where it hit and different firms were affected in different ways? 
Yes, so we have actually multiple examples from countries that opened up to import competition. So Brazil is one of them. In those cases, farms that are less productive in the industry were the ones where the employment losses were concentrated. If you were a well-managed firm or a firm that is really productive, you didn't really have to worry that much about import competition. But if you were a firm that was poorly managed, you were much more likely to have to shut down or you had to fire some workers to make ends meet. So the companies being worst affected by this were the ones employing the worst paid workers as well. There's, a, there's an inequality implication. Okay. Yes, yes, yeah. Let's dive a little bit deeper into some specific examples to make the point that increased trade can either increase or decrease poverty within a country depending on the context at hand. Go back again to your examples of India. You already told us about what happened overall with its trade liberalization, major tariff cuts in the 1990s. But now explain to us what happened in the regional context. How were things very different across regions within India? The first thing that I really want to emphasize is that during the period of trade reform in India in the 1990s, aggregate poverty in India was declining tremendously, both in rural and urban areas. So we do have to keep that in mind. However, India is divided into these different districts. And some districts were much more exposed to import competition after trade reform than others. What happened then is that districts that were more exposed to import competition, the demand for workers in those districts decreased, wages decreased both in industry as well as in agriculture, and that trickled down to poverty. So these districts actually experienced poverty increases relative to less affected districts. Was there anything particular to the Indian context that limited mobility? Many researchers are trying to figure out why these costs of import competition are so concentrated geographically. And the lack of mobility across regions is part of the answer. But we know a little bit less about why people don't move. In the India's case, though, we do have an explanation. And that has to do with the fact that poor households rely on the caste system for informal insurance. So let's say in the United States, if you get sick or unemployed, the government provides some safety net. In India, that does not happen as much. In the case of India, if you get sick, if you need somebody to take care of your children, you often rely on your family or the members of your caste for help. If you move away, you lose these informal connections that help you deal with unexpected negative shocks. So people believe that part of the reason why families and workers in India do not move is is exactly because of these informal networks. Are there any happier examples? Yes. (laughs) Let's turn to Vietnam. Great. Remember before we said it really matters what type of liberalization a country implements? Vietnam in 2001 uh, implemented a bilateral trade agreement with the United States. And the main policy change in that agreement was that the United States lowered taxes on Vietnamese exports. This shock made it much cheaper for Vietnam to export goods to the United States. Like in India, Vietnam is divided into geographic regions. We call them provinces in Vietnam. During this period, poverty in Vietnam was falling. However, poverty was falling more in regions of Vietnam that had a greater concentration of industries that benefited from the trade policy change. In those regions, all of a sudden, demand for workers increased. So we saw increases in wages, even for less educated workers. So that's great news if you want to reduce poverty. 
poverty in this region has actually decreased more than it did in other regions of, of Vietnam. How is the adjustment taking place? Are people switching between the informal and the formal sectors? So usually it's the firms in the formal sector, the companies that are better performing that can take advantage of exporting. Those are the companies that are looking for extra workers. And how do they attract extra workers? Well, they raise wages. Well, that makes it more attractive for a person to actually work for this company as opposed to working for their own company that is not as well run. What we observed happening in Vietnam is that workers switched from working for informal microenterprise, oftentimes their own self-employed company in which they were their own employer, to a formal firm. Overall, was that good for the workers who moved? If you work for a formal firm, you tend to earn better wages. You also have access to much more stable hours, so you, you get like a much more stable job and benefits in Vietnam and you are much less likely to hold multiple jobs. When you work in the informal sector, you many times don't just do one job, you maybe do multiple jobs at the same time to make ends meet. When you get a formal job, that provides a much more stable way to make a living. What about other spillovers to the labor market that we might not normally think of? So far, I was mostly focusing on how adults and workers fared in response to traberization episode. But what we have to keep in mind is that the effects that trade has on incomes of households actually also affect investment decisions and consumption decisions of these households, including investment into children. So if families are doing better as a result of trade, that actually affects how much they can invest into their children. And what we have found in research is that when families' income increases, children are more likely to attend school and less likely to have to engage in child work. Likewise, for example, in the case of India, when families suffer as a result of trade reform, children are pulled out of school because families can't afford schooling costs. And that's not necessarily the effect that we might expect. It could be that if the economy is doing better and there's more work to be had, then it becomes more attractive to send your children into, into work. Yes, yeah. Can we say anything about what the trade shock in Vietnam did to regional inequality? During this period, poverty in Vietnam overall is decreasing, but is especially decreasing in areas that benefited from this export shock. However, this tended to be areas that were better off to begin with. So inequality between well-off regions and not as well-off regions within Vietnam increased. Okay, but enough of the happy examples. Let's go back to import competition and the kinds of shocks that cause disruption. Okay, the effects might be not good in the short run, but eventually people adjust, right? Unfortunately, the answer is no. And I should emphasize, for developing countries, we only have one study that can look at whether or not people adjust, because in order to be able to answer that question, you need data that follows individuals for many, many years. And one country that has such data is Brazil. Okay, so in the Brazilian case, they were the ones that liberalized, they cut their tariffs between 1990 and 1995. And we have this data looking at the long run effects. What's the punchline? What happened? Economic theory would suggest that workers suffer in the short run, but over the long run, they can move out of the areas adversely affected by import competition to areas where there are more employment opportunities. Two researchers have recently looked at whether or not that happens, and the answer is no. 
And in fact, what happens is workers don't move and the negative effects of trade on wages and employment of workers in the formal sector in Brazil actually get worse with time. So 20 years after trade reform, workers in formal sector earn lower wages and there is less employment in the formal sector than it was at the onset of trade reform. So why? Walk us through what are the likely impediments that are stopping this adjustment from taking place even over the long run in Brazil? Well, so the first impediment is lack of mobility out of these hard hit regions to better regions. So that's part of the story. But then you still are wondering, well, why do things get worse in the formal sector? And the reason why they get worse are two. The first reason is that not only do workers adjust slowly to trade, but as does capital. Right after trade reform, firms face more competition, but they really want to survive. They hold on and they will only reduce their activities or shut down when their capital depreciates. So if you made investment decisions, let's say a couple of years before trade reform, you still have a lot of undepreciated capital. You will wait until that capital depreciates to, to shut down. And that actually makes the adjustment of workers slower. The second reason is that when you have a large formal sector, so many formal companies in an area, that actually provides a lot of positive spillovers for companies in that area. Trade liberalization was a negative shock to these formal firms. So as the formal sector is shrinking, there are less and less of these positive spillovers, and that leads to further declines in employment because all these spillovers disappear with time. So in the formal sector, you have these clusters of firms that are really hurt and affected and and they suffer over the long run. What's happening in the informal sector? Don't they absorb some of the, the shock? A lot of the workers lost jobs in the formal sector and for a while they were unemployed. But what the two researchers found out is that if you look 10 years after trade reform, some of these unemployed workers started working in the informal sector. And then if you look 20 years after trade liberalization episode, The informal sector fully absorbed the unemployed workers. So the employment growth in the region overall, when you consider both formal and informal sector, was basically back to the levels at the onset of trade reform. However, there is a catch again, because if we look at what happened to earnings 20 years after trade reform took place, they are still lower than they were at the onset of trade reform. So I guess if I had to summarize this, I would say that the impact of a trade shock in a developing country depends on the kind of trade shock, which firm you're working in to begin with, which region you're in to begin with. It's very complicated. Yeah, there are many factors to consider. And that's why when you're asked, is trade good for the poor? The trade increase in equality? There are no easy yes or no answer. It all depends on the context. How have these big trade liberalizations in developing countries affected public opinion? Have we seen the same backlash that we've seen in places like America? So far, developing countries have not observed the same backlash against globalization than the United States and Brexit. I think there are two reasons for that. These are countries with relatively high growth rates at this point in time, and poverty has dropped tremendously in these countries. Even though trade can raise inequality in these countries, that's all hidden underneath all these positive aggregate trends. If we look at public opinion, Pew Global Surveys ask people in low and high income countries, do you think trade is good or somewhat good for your economy? And 
people in low-income countries are much more likely to say that trade is good for their economy than people in the United States. Now we get to the hard part about policy. It seems like it's complicated. What are the main takeaways? What do we advise policymakers that are faced with these trade liberalization episodes? What's the advice that we start to give them? Maybe let's start first on the issue of compensation. Should we just pay off people that might be harmed from trade liberalization? Is that going to work? In economics classes, we always tell our students that trade makes the country better off, but it generates winners and losers, and that we can always design compensation schemes where we take a little bit away from the winners to compensate the losers and everybody is better off. In practice, that doesn't happen very often. There are a few issues in developing countries that we need to consider. For once, these countries might not have access to the same government revenue that we do in developed countries. And even when we look at the evidence in developed countries, the amount of compensation through transfers that individuals receive is very small relative to the losses for people that were negatively affected by trade in a country like the United States. How about active labor adjustment policies? So what's the takeaway there for policymakers? So active labor market policies are policies where, for example, Brazilian government offers retraining to workers that have lost jobs, or it can subsidize a wage of a worker at a firm. So farmers is more likely to employ that worker because it's going to be cheaper. Or you can organize a recruiting campaign where people go to places where there are many displaced workers and tell them about job opportunities in booming areas of a country. These policies are actually quite popular in developing countries. Unfortunately, what has been tried so far also does not seem to work. So there is a recent survey that examines the effectiveness of these programs in 10 different countries. And what the survey suggests is only two or three people out of 100 targeted people by these programs actually find a job. And so this is the work done by David McKenzie at the World Bank. This was a survey by David McKenzie, but he surveyed 24 programs in 10 different countries. Did anything work? Well, there's one program that was deemed successful. And that was a program where recruiters in India went to rural villages and provided young women information about jobs in call centers in cities in India. And what the program did is these girls ended up getting more education and actually moved to cities in pursuit of these jobs. And an interesting component of this program is that it actually had spillovers to younger girls. Younger girls in these villages also ended up getting more education as a result of the program. So there is some hope and probably future policies should focus more on programs that try to provide more information about jobs available elsewhere and reduce this mismatch between where workers are and where the demand for their services is. Okay, well, there's some policies that maybe could work, but overall, I'm still fairly pessimistic that really the people who are hit by this trade liberalization are going to be fully compensated or made made to feel like they're as well off as they were before. I guess some people would say, ah, we shouldn't bother. Maybe let's just not liberalize trade at all. Well, protectionism is not the answer because trade generates many gains to consumers in terms of cheaper goods from abroad, broader variety of goods from abroad. It also gives firms access to cheaper inputs and that can lead to more jobs for the economy as a whole. The other thing that we have to keep in mind is that many of these 
unequal effects don't take into account the fact that these aggregate benefits of trade and we do have to keep these aggregate benefits of trade in mind as we are assessing policy options and responses to growing inequality. So when we're looking at the effects on these trade shocks, often we're comparing regions or people or companies that were more or less affected, but we can't say as much about overall how everyone was affected because you might have these much wider spillover effects that are harder to pick up in the data. Absolutely. And that goes back to this question is like, how do we tease out the effects of trade from everything else that is happening in the economy? And so trade probably contributed to growth and drastic declines in poverty in developing countries. We just can't tell how much. So that's really great. Thanks, Nina. It's been wonderful having you on. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. Hopefully you enjoyed that as much as we did. A great reminder that it's not only those American manufacturing workers who had to adjust to trade. A huge thank you from us to Nina Pouchnik, the Niehaus Family Professor of International Studies and Professor of Economics at Dartmouth College. You can follow her on Twitter at, at Nina Pouchnik. And listeners should definitely also check out Nina's research. We'll put links on our Twitter feed to her paper, The Impact of Trade on Inequality in Developing Countries. We'll also add links to the work Nina mentioned by Rafael Dix Carnero at Duke University and Brian Kovac at Carnegie Mellon University, who looked at Brazil. And the research by David McKenzie of the World Bank, looking into the effectiveness of active labor market policies in developing countries. That is all from Trade Talks. Please do leave us a review on iTunes. We would love it. And if you have any specific feedback or ideas for future episodes, then do get in touch. I'm at Samaya Keynes. And I'm at Chad Bown. We're on at trade underscore underscore talks. That's at trade underscore underscore talks. Because when it comes to examining the impact of trade on developing countries, one policy metric just wasn't enough. You see, not just poverty alleviation, but also inequality. Okay, no. Try the next one. Because when it comes to examining the impact of trade on developing countries, just one sector wasn't enough. You mean... You mean the informal and the formal sectors? Yeah. Yeah, we should have told Nina to do this bit. Maybe you're right.